from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel, one of the hosts of The Cooler, and today I am joined by two Gilmore Girls scholars, because Gilmore Girls is back. La, 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 la. Nine years after it went off the air in 2007, there's a revival on Netflix, there's a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, Carly and Jameter don't watch the show, so I called on two of my besties. First up is... Mia Christopher, who you might remember from the Brexit episode of this podcast, where she won the title of America's Next Top Cooler Superfan, I think is what it was. I think something like that. Well, you wear the sash wonderfully. Thank you. Welcome back. Thanks. So excited to be here. And we're also joined by Sophie Lenache, who also lives in Breeze, Gilmore, Lorelai, Emily, Rory, the whole bit. Correct. Welcome. Thanks. So let's start off by talking about why we're so pumped up about this revival. What does Gilmore Girls mean in your life? Why do you love it? Well, I think a lot of people in our particular generation, we started watching this show when we were young, maybe close to Rory's age. Mm -hmm. So we kind of grew up with her. And honestly, I'm just remembering this now. The reason why I took AP classes in high school was because Yay. Rory was such a nerd. Aww. And so in some ways, the show made me the person I am today. And it got you into college. And it got me into college <laughs> and it, you know, exacerbated my nerdy tendencies in the best possible way. That's always good. And emphasized all the punk rock crushes I had in high school, too. Oh, yeah. Leather you know jacket. I mean. Thank you, Jess Mariano. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about you, Mia? It had so much fantastical escapism that it was one of those shows that whenever you watched it, you felt safe and cozy. Mm -hmm. There was something really just idealistic about the whole show. It just feels like warm, like you're in a, as the Canadians say, bunny hug, which is their word for a hoodie, (laughs) just like wrapped up, swaddled, autumn tinted always. And I'm so glad that it came back during these troublesome times to have new content that makes us feel comforted and understood. This is one of the best times for that. Absolutely. It's kind of like going home to Stars Hollow in a way. Yeah. But we're not failed journalists like Rory. (laughs) More on that later. (laughs) (laughs) So the first scene is a black screen with famous sound bites from the original show. Please, Luke, please, please, please. How many cups have you had this morning? None. Plus? Five, but yours is better. I got a kiss, and and I I shoplifted. Honestly, Lorelai, not your looks that keep them away. Think about that. People die, we pay. People crash cars, we pay. People lose a foot, we pay. Did you do something slutty? I'm not that happy. Particularly stupid. Luke can waltz. Luke can waltz. No, I'm in. I am all in. Like the first 15 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, but at least those guys got to be. I'm not going to Harvard. I had sex, but I'm not going to Harvard. Being a child, the minute the strip turned. You jump by a jump jack. Eternal damnation is what I'm risking for my rock and roll. Because I love you, you idiot. I smell snow. I pause it immediately. And was like, it's already so good. Yeah. They're just like, (laughs) we're going to take you back to all these moments and you're going to feel all the feels. Just get ready because there's more coming. And I was like, please take me on this ride. (laughs) It was like an incantation. Yes. It was like, welcome. Your seance Mm. has begun. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Let's float on up to heaven. And I appreciate it as somebody who's extremely sensitive and easily overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) To kind of have a moment to ease in was something that I really appreciated in general. And it seemed like the actors had to clip back into the tone and the vibe and the rapport. And same for me, like you have to have that moment to click into something. And that's why people have those like empty pages before and after a novel, because you're just supposed to be like thinking and getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, So so I'll say it. Gilmore Girls is basically Proust. I was literally thinking that on Bart, (laughs) like literally thinking that on Bart coming over here because I and I literally just pounded my fist on the table. You sometimes have to. I'm excited. I really commend Amy. Can we be on a first name basis? Yeah, Amy Sherman Paladino. Um, I commend her for writing an epic with this remake, rewatching the first episode and watching the initial fight 
that Lorelai and Emily have mm. around the painting. This is what I want. I swear it can't be. Why not? Because look at it. It's nuts. Wizard, you shall not pass. Seriously. Fine. I made a mistake. Are you happy? I gave them the wrong dimensions and they screwed it up. I'm a screw up. I admit it. Just please, please don't let this be the only thing you remember to say at my funeral. And then leading that into the retrospective of Richard's funeral and the fight that they had at that point. How dare you call me an idiot? I just lost my husband. I just lost my father. And you couldn't care less. That's horrible. You're horrible. Get out. First the help, then me. Seems about right. Go home. Go back to your beloved town with his carnies and misfits and tell them how your intolerable mother yelled at you at your father's funeral. And they can all console you and tell you what a witch I am and how perfect you are. Full freaking circle. That is the essence of what the remake is all about, which is to reopen the wounds that were left at the end of the series and try to find some closure and find some resolve. Amy Sherman Palandino is really showing us what an epic writer she is and how she can just brilliantly set up an arc and a deep story that can span out over quite some time and yet in various forms of subtle nuances find these tiny moments of closure to sort of tie in a grander sense of closure around the whole thing. And the genius of being able to populate an entire town with different shops and different characters, and they live on in our imaginations, and that's so hard to do. And and that is the feeling that you get after a novel. You're like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. so vivid, and I know all the details, and I rarely feel that way about a TV show. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that she's done that, and I think that's part of the reason why there was such a demand for this to come back, because... It's not just because we're like, we want to know what What happens happens? to this person. It's like we want that feeling and we want to revisit these people that we feel like we know because you wrote them so well. A friend of mine made a comment that it doesn't matter if the remake was good or not. It was just so comforting to revisit. And that is where the success lies in the entire remake. And I agree with her. And I also feel like it was good. Yes. (laughs) So let's talk about why it was good. What did you love about the revival? I had so many favorite moments. I loved in the beginning that Rory brings Lorelai iced teaspoons as a callback to Emily's potential wedding gift to Lorelai with oh, Max Medina. Nice. Yeah, I know. Nice Easter egg. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We go deep. I have to say my absolute favorite part of the revival was the character of Paris and seeing her evolution. Her haircut. Everything. Her everything. Her professional choices. Whoever styled her is a freaking genius. The one part I could have done without with Paris is her reaction to the fake Tristan at Chilton. You saw him out there, macking on that slutty biznotch. Now you're just freaking me out. Calm down. And he didn't even look at me. Not so much as a glance. All my education, the advanced degrees, the academic awards, all my accomplishments, the private club... The Pilates, the dermabrasions, the subtle nips and tucks, and I'm still just Paris Geller, the amazing, insignificant, invisible girl. We didn't need that with Paris. Like, Paris, you know, she's stronger than that. She she doesn't... Tristan, I wish he had been, um, like, her coffee boy at her company or something, you know? Change it up. Yeah, like, come on. You used to have power over me in some way because I was so attracted to you and couldn't handle myself, but now now I'm I'm in control. Exactly. I think that it was sad to see her anxiety still getting the best of her when she so clearly has become such an accomplished and confident person. But I think it was true to character where she keeps it so together. And then in that past episode where she doesn't get into Harvard and she says, I had sex, but I didn't go to Harvard. I'm being punished. I had sex. So now I don't get to go to Harvard. Harris, come on. She's never had sex. She'll probably go to Harvard. She's a shoo-in. Pack your chastity about Gilmore. You're going to Harvard. Come on. Her character is a lot of, like, achieving and then breaking down, a response to not allowing herself to break down, and then eventually the break has to come somewhere. Yeah. I would be on board with what you're saying, but it gave rise to one of my favorite moments, which is when someone's trying to get into the bathroom, and she randomly puts her leg up and, like, sticks her high heel into the door. <laughs> and it's just so comedic in a very Gilmore way and it's very Paris and I've seen that gif everywhere and it seems like it's resonating a lot in that scene she's pacing and she's freaking out and it is important to a lot of people because we rarely see her like that and then Mm. 
To make it worse, Francie comes back, her arch nemesis from high school, just to like put her over the edge even more. And she's been through this divorce. She's keeping it together. She's getting surrogates pregnant. She's super rich. She has five stories in Brooklyn. And it took going back to her high school. Sometimes when you go home, you become who you used to be, even though you're like, I've evolved so much. Like when Mm. I go home for the holidays, all of a sudden I'm 14 again and everyone treats me that way. And she is at her school where the headmaster is treating her like a student. So there is that mental dynamic going on. Another of my favorite scenes is Emily in jeans, obviously. Like her her just being like, I read Marie Kondo's book and I'm getting rid of anything. Nothing brings me joy except your old jeans. The KonMari reference. I thought it was brilliant. That whole sequence was incredible. I feel like a lot of Gilmore Girls fans are congruent with Marie Kondo fans. I mean, I... I love that book. <laughs> I totally conmarried everything in my house. It's just, it's the same audience. And it really makes sense that, especially in a time of grieving, that Emily would kind of hold on to a theory like that. Yeah. So many things to like, especially this quote by Emily. I can't spend any more time and energy on artifice and bullshit. It's all bullshit. I'm moving to Nantucket. F*** y'all. And yeah. sometimes you just got to say, like, there's too much artifice, too much bullshit, and I'm going to go do something that's not this. So we can't talk about this revival without talking about the final four words, which Amy Sherman Palladino has always said, if I had gotten to finish the show out, if you don't know, she stopped writing it season six. It went on to season seven. She didn't get to finish her own show. She knew what the four words were from the beginning, she says, and she didn't get to use them. We finally know what they are. Who wants to be Lorelai? And I'll be Rory. I'll be Lorelai. Okay. <gasps> Mom? Yeah? I'm pregnant. Fade to black. Fade to black. black. So what's the sound that you made when you heard the final four words? I don't remember exactly, but it was one of two things. It was either, or it was, oh my God. One of those (laughs) Both good noises. (laughs) Mine was absolutely. Okay, so ours are similar. Mine was like, like (laughs) more high pitched than that. Just like despair. It's such a soap opera thing to do. Like she's pregnant. Right. But the more I think about it, the more I come to terms with Mm. it. But initially I was thinking, I will not accept that. I will not accept that. Mm. And that's how I felt for like three days. And then I was like, actually, I can see how it's full circle. and, And we get to imagine the rest of it, even if there's no more episodes. It's fine. What do you guys think? Did you did you come to terms with it? Or are you still mad? I mean, I had the same same feeling that it, it comes full circle. There are so many ways I could imagine it going in terms of, you know, who's the father? Will Rory's journey now then be back in Stars Hollow raising a child as a single mom, perhaps working at the Gazette? Or will she write her novel, say it's Logan's child? Will she have Logan's child but end up with Jess? Will she say it's Jess's child? They slept together and didn't tell us as the audience. I hope so. It's not what I thought was going to happen. I like that it keeps me guessing and filling in the blanks. But it is highly unsatisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it was a surprise and a shock, It's somehow kind of boring, trite, or just kind of disappointing. And I think the best possible outcome of it is that we get more Gilmore Girls. Like they have, they, I just felt like, well, now you just have to keep going. Like you need, we need more. As much as I wish that they would just pull an obvious child and take a turn and like have her get an abortion, which would be really making it more relevant for the time, I think, in so many different ways. I know that they won't because their world is far too middle of the road and conservative. But I also, just from a storytelling perspective, I think that there's this opportunity for the full circle nature of the remake in general to kind of layer and coil upon itself where the Luke and Lorelai dynamic can now get passed on to Rory and Jess. Right. Where Logan is the new Christopher, Jess is the new Luke. Yeah, I would love to see a Gilmore Girls world that has no Lorelai. <gasps> Rory could have a daughter. They're the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so tired. Shocked. <laughs> You're so tired of Lorelai. I'm so tired of Lorelai. I'm so wow. tired of her story and her. I think her behavior. story is done, though. It's not cute to act like a child when you're almost fifty. 
It's not wasn't cute to act like a Almost child when you were thirty two either. Shots fired. <laughs> she is forty eight. A tender. Well, like I said, like even when she was thirty two, I just I didn't think that was that was cute or fun or quirky. Well, there's or... so much of the show where like what we needed to address as an audience and what they needed to address in the show was this like moment where Lorelai has to finally confront her control issues, where she is no longer the author of her story. She quite literally with Rory writing the book about their story. Mm. And she has to start relaxing and softening around the edges to let other people come in with their stories and their ideas. That still hurts me. I'm so smarting. (laughs) If there were more, how would you feel about it? Amazing. Incredible. Could not believe my luck. Charmed. Charmed. Not the WB show featuring witches, but just charmed in general. I would love some, but I feel like I would be okay if there was nothing else as well. Mm -hmm. Because I just feel like I've been given so much and I've rewatched it so much and it continues to give me life. You know, this revival should have never happened. And the fact that we got it, Mm. I'm just supremely grateful. Yes. It reminds me of Passover Seder where... (laughs) (laughs) Just like that. If you had just given us the original series, that would have been enough. No, the remake was such a treat. I would be thrilled if there was more. I'm a huge fan. If all the same cast was in it, it would be great, despite what I just said about (laughs) Lorelai. I would love it. I feel the same way as you guys. Just I never expected this to happen. I feel like we're in a new era of television with all these revivals and it's it's exciting. I'm a huge fan of nostalgia and it's really cool to be able to have the same creator come back and bring a world to life that you're so familiar with. And like Lorelai says, come full circle. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining me for this little panel of ours. Usually we outro with a song and I thought we could outro with a La La song. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Little Sam Phillips. Um, so j- join me. La la la. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we tried. We'll just let the professionals take this one. Yeah. Take it away, la, Sam Phillips. La, la, yeah. La, you never knew how hard it was to make la la la. La 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 la. I've watched it a lot. I try I practice. Anyway, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So much fun. Such a pleasure. See you for future marathons very soon. Just like the Gilmore Girls, we have so much to say. So we have ducked into a side booth, which is why we might sound different than the rest of the episode. And we are just going to let it all out. So we talked about the final four words. We talked about best moments. We really didn't talk about things we didn't love. It was kind of a love fest. So can we just talk about the Life and Death Brigade, which is seen as they're so charming and it's so fun to be entitled and like and objectify lo- and women and Rory gets to let her hair down and have fun with these guys and it's just so unsatisfying because they're such like dicks yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that my gut reaction to Rory's affiliation with the life and death brigade is that it is one of the most unbelievable relationships within the series the entire series of Gilmore Girls I don't really buy the fact that these kind of elite entitled men would just treat her like one of the boys and not objectify her I agree with you completely and I also feel like it's this departure from the themes of the show where Rory sort of consistently breaks from the prep school environment to Mm -hmm. stay loyal to her Stars Hollow community and with the Life and Death Brigade she's joining the very class of people that she otherwise lives in objection to in a way that's very unbelievable and also kind of disappointing as the viewer. In the early seasons we're brought to believe that Rory is this innately good person who was brought up well and money and all this lavish stuff she she wasn't used to that so she's oblivious to it and immune to it and it's interesting when we see her dealing with marty in like season five or something where he's her friend but she likes this guy logan who's super rich and his friends are really heartless and callous and they are entitled and they objectify women and they hate poor people and they look down on marty her friend because he has a job during college and that he was a bartender at one of their events and she doesn't really stick up for him and from then on she just aligns herself with these people who are 
horrible people. And the aphorism is, you are who you hang out with. And if that is to be believed, Rory is horrible. And why can she overlook the way they act? Like when she's having so much fun on these like little romps that they do, they're just like saying really crass things to women and like brushing them off. And they're only there for accessories. And they're like, oh, who are you sleeping with tonight? Buying nightclubs because they feel like it. And they they go to a tango club and buy it and then change the music so it's not as ethnic, I guess. And they start playing some other BS. And it's just like. Are we supposed to find this charming? Does Amy Sherman Palladino and the writers think we think this is fun and cool? Because if so, there's a problem there. And I don't get why mm. we have a whole segment where these guys have to return. It was bad enough that I met them in the first place. I Agreed. Totally agree with you. The fact that she is friends with these people and moving into their world doesn't bother me on its own. But I'm very disappointed that she doesn't bring more to the table with her perspective. I think that she has more to offer and she's very silenced in those scenes. And I just find it upsetting. And in addition to that, that she's so willing to be silenced and she's so she steps into this role so quickly. You know, Emmanuel, you raised the question of why would this have been of benefit to the show or to the audience? Why would it have been entertaining? I feel like we're meant to be sold on the whimsy of it alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm offended by that because yeah. I think it completely undermines us as the viewing audience Last thoughts on Life and Death Brigade. It reminded me of the scene from this eminent show. It, I think it airs on PBS, maybe. It's called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Ah, <laughs> the Kardashians. Yes. And there's a scene where Scott Disick, boyfriend of Kourtney Kardashian, actually sometimes boyfriend, it's complicated. He is in Miami, I believe. And he has had too much to drink. And everyone's like, he's an alcoholic, he needs help. They ask a waiter to cut him off. And so the waiter cuts him off and says, I can't serve you anymore. I think you've had enough. And Scott takes an $100 bill and stuffs it into the waiter's mouth, obviously without his consent. And yeah. it's like a whole scene. And then they're just like, oh, Scott's so crazy. And I feel like that's the treatment of Life and Death Brigade is like, oh, they're so wacky. Like they don't give a shit about other people's feelings and they have money and that's all that matters. And I would be okay with the storyline if she entered it and then spoke truth to power. Disrupted. And like, yeah, and changed their minds and mm-hmm. made them realize that, that their little romps and, like, throwing their money around and, like, being terrible to women, it's probably not the best way to live your life. And if you went to Yale and you're educated, you should probably know better than to do that. And you can use your privilege for better things. And so that whole storyline, when it came back, I wasn't feeling like, oh, these characters again. I'm so happy they're back. I was like, we're being subjected to this BS once again. And it was enough the first time. Sophie, is there things about this revival that you have issues with? Yes. First of all is the format of the show itself. I think there were a lot of positive things about the show coming back in the Netflix original style of everything right away so we can all binge watch and we can really dig in. There were a lot of other benefits to it, including what I assume to be a much higher budget because some of the visuals were much more advanced than the original series. You know, Rory's romp with the Life and Death Brigade got to be more extravagant. Luke and Lorelai's um, elopement wedding got to be this fantastical beautiful thing. But I did wonder if the restriction of time in the original series was to the benefit of the writing because I found myself feeling like I was extremely stoned like <laughs> in watching the remake where I just felt like time is going slower than normal. <laughs> like how come it's like it can't be that I still have 20 more minutes. So I do feel like that is worth some criticism. How did you two feel about that? For me, the format was an opportunity with the limitations of a TV show with commercial breaks and only 42 minutes. You have to stuff in all your best stuff and you have to edit out all the stuff that maybe you think is great, but it just wasn't the best. And so I feel like the original episodes were a product of the whole philosophy of kill your darlings. Like you love the thing, but not everything can be in it. But with this Everything could be in it. And sometimes it felt like, all right, someone should have talked to you about this long ass sequence, which we don't need. Where's Lane? Like there are other things we could be focusing on. Where is Lane? (laughs) Right. And like 
the fact that I think that they tried to revisit some of the critiques that they received after the original series around depictions of queer people and being inclusive in the show racially, um, or rather the lack of inclusion in the show racially. And I think that they really failed at that. They tried to have this plot line of Berta and of Paris's nanny being like the people of color in the story all of a sudden. And it was just like, could you have done that in a more offensive and idiotic way? You know, it was just like such a failure in every possible way other than I do think there is the symbolism where Emily is allowing Berta and her family into her life in a way that she was never allowing Lorelai and Stars Hollow into her life. And that's like the one positive thing. But like all of their jokes about not knowing what language Berta and her family speak Ooh. of like the only. Yeah. Really I mean, bad. it's just like horrific and such an embarrassment of Why like. Why would they do that? Yeah. Well, who said this is a good idea? This won't cause any problems. <laughs> no. Or like, why is that? Like, why is that like Funny. retribution? Yeah. Like, yeah. how is that better? It's in the whole not. like white people refusing to try to understand people from a different culture is supposed to be funny. And we see this with Michelle as well in previous seasons, but also in the revival where Rachel Ray's like, oh yeah, I did meet Michelle. I don't understand anything he says as if it's his problem that she has never heard someone with an accent. And it reminded me of Mia, the independence Inn owner in like season one or two, she says like, Michelle, like you've been in this country for so long. I feel like you should speak better English. And so I feel like the show has a history of dealing with, the other in really problematic ways. And the fact that she, you know, later on in the first episode, couldn't remember if it was Berta's husband or the husband's brother. It's like, please, he's been working for you for over a month. You can't remember his face. Like, yeah, so ridiculous. It's really bad. I have it's a not... question for both of you. Yeah. Were you aware that Berta is played by the same actress as Gypsy? I was. Yeah. I, yes. Really? This person couldn't be a unique individual character and you couldn't cast a person of color that's not on the show because there aren't that many of them you had to like you just had to buy a wig what (laughs) i feel like in some ways amy sherman palladino's humor is of the school of like i'm not gonna let pc culture tell me what to do and it's comedy and i'll do what i want to do and it's like stubborn and it's behind the timesness this comes to my mind specifically with the fat shaming around the pole scene oh. where they say, Ellie alert. Holy moly. Why, there's old Butterbutt. And our good friend, Backfat Pat. Tell me, is he of the Maryland Backfats? I believe he is. Oh. What is cutting edge about that humor? What is new? What is necessary about that? And the answer is nothing. It's not smart. So if it was smart and like a interesting take on some part of our culture that we're uncomfortable with, fine. But it's just poking fun at overweight people. Right. I don't get it. It's a common critique of the show, the way Lorelai and Rory eat and fetishize food, but they have these Hollywood standard beautiful bodies and then they're fat shaming people in 2016 where if you have any know-all, you don't do that. There's no reason to shame someone for their body and I just don't understand why why they made that choice. It wasn't clear. And knowing the current landscape of our world where we're being more empathetic, I mean, we were until recently, um, you would think that they would have a better read on what the fans of this show would be into, especially because a lot of the people who wanted this revival are new viewers who found it through Netflix. They're a younger generation. They were brought up knowing you don't bring up someone's weight as a negative. You don't bring up someone's race or sexuality as a negative or gender or whatever. And they seem to be relying on these like old school comedy tropes and i get that amy sherman palladio comes from like she wrote for roseanne and and she comes from a different school but you can evolve and you don't have to stay in that time period and that's why i say that some part of her sense of humor seems stubborn and you mentioned the representation of queer people on the show we finally get michelle to be gay which he was coded as gay in the first one like he went to a drag club and all of a sudden felt alive and wasn't angry anymore or he loves celine dion or like these like kind of stereotypical interests of certain gay people and finally he just says like oh i have a husband other than that the only thing that they do to make up for all the gay panic jokes and all of the really casually homophobic 
stuff that went on in the first couple of seasons is they decide they can't have a gay pride festival because there aren't enough gays in town and they make a joke of like are you sure there aren't any more gays taylor are you gay as gypsy gay i don't know it felt like Amy Sherman-Palladino and her husband, Daniel, who were the writers of the show, were saying, look, we're aware that we don't serve the queer community in our writing. Isn't that funny? Like, they don't do better. Mm. Instead of just doing better, like, they had all this time. And she said in a quote at the ATX Festival in Austin, which I went to because I'm obsessed with this show, she said, things were different back then. You know, today everyone would be gay. And this was before the revival was announced. And so... Today everyone would be gay, and yet. So we, then, why what? Yeah, why wasn't we got time? Michelle, who's now can say he's gay. This other person who was in the town who we've never met before, who his only characteristic is he's gay and he has a dog. Right, like he has no other personality other than that. And I don't think they did better. And no. I think they could have. And specifically with the kind of jokes they were putting out there those first couple of years, I don't care if it was a different time. If you are an accepting person i don't care if bush is president you don't have to put homophobic jokes in your show Mm -hmm. and i've tweeted about this before with like clips of from the show that were upsetting to me and i've tweeted things like drink every time gilmore girls casually shits all over gay people or casual homophobia is as much a gilmore girls staple as coffee and rory being a horrible friend to lane Mm -hmm. (laughs) like these it's true it just came up and up like luke who we're supposed to think of as this noble figure says stuff like oh look at your gay bag it's just astounding and i thought they would do better and they didn't and that's disappointing emmanuel i think you articulated that so well it's something that really needs to be talked about i was so excited when they quote unquote let Michelle come out as gay I was like yes finally we knew it I had hope then for the rest of the episodes and then we get this town hall meeting where it's kind of a mockery and then they cancel this pride parade it felt like you know the bubble was burst like it's why wasn't there a like celebration? Like one of their cool festivals that they get to have. Exactly. Like, right. been cute? We're not like, oh, not enough people are going to make baskets this year. So or we're like going to cancel the basket a day. a blanket all day. And I would have loved, let's cut Kirk's movie and put in a gay pride parade. <laughs> you know, let's we're have here, a pride yeah. festival. Like we need, you know, there could and have like been so much. And like how Stars Hollow would it, sorry, I'm cutting you off, but I'm <laughs> very lit about this. <laughs> How Stars Hollow would it have been for them to have a gay pride parade parade when there's only one gay person in the whole town? That would have been so Stars Hollow. Completely aligns with what they do already with Stars Hollow. There's so much opportunity for other characters to be gay. Of course, we think of Gypsy and Taylor. If they didn't want to do that, I mean, I think someone in Lane's band could have come out. Um, some of the, one of the kids could have come. Like, there's so much opportunity for that. It doesn't make any sense that it's singled out to Michelle and then this random. I'm the gay guy. I don't know. It just was really unfortunate. I don't understand why it was brought up and then shut down. I felt like it was really hurtful and really short sighted. I don't understand. Almost naming the show itself as like. We're not going to participate. They were like, yeah, no, we hear you. And nope. Nope. You don't matter because there aren't enough of you. So bye. Mm. (laughs) We obviously are asking for justice for minorities. Who else are we asking justice for in the show? I mean, let's just start with Lane because there's a lot. Lane Kim. I'm so so sorry, Lane. (laughs) I mean, sorry for everything from like season four and on. You poor thing. She was crashing at Yale and she couldn't go to the college of her choice. And she, oh, it's so bad. This cool character that we started off season one through three, who was full of promise and like she was going to break out and be a superstar and she was just waiting for her time. We don't get to see any of that fulfilled. And now she's saddled with this husband who somehow aged 213 years (laughs) in in nine years. And that scene where they're all playing in the band, Paris is in the corner and she looks at Rory and she says, are they serious? And I felt the same way. Like, are they still pretending like... Mm. This is, A, a worldly storyline, but B, are these characters actually thinking, yeah, we'll keep playing music and we're going to make it someday, even though we had the opportunity to make it and Zach messed it up by freaking out at that show oh, in season Zach. six or seven. Zach, what is wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing? This was a disaster. The guys from the label were there. They showed up. It was our shot. 
We worked so hard to get to this point and we blew our big shot. What the hell is wrong with you? You let me down tonight. You let down Gil. You let down Brian. I don't want to hear about Brian. Zach. Maybe this is why people in bands shouldn't date. Yeah, I guess so. What I was hoping before I saw any of this was Dave Rogowski would come back <gasps> or be there. Oh, oh. We just collectively swooned <laughs> in our chair. I never even had such high hopes. I admire your optimism. <laughs> I thought that he would either come back for her or just be there as her man. And she will be someone who has learned that sex can be enjoyable. Poor thing. And also she can be happy and fulfill her dreams and not have to be saddled with this like sad sack grump. He reminds me of Luke in some ways, but like without any of the positives. And also the only time Rory seeks out Lane is to crash with her because she's in a fight with her mom. Or to just vomit all her emotions on her and never ask Lane how she is. And I think the dynamic there is also uncomfortable because Lane is a minority. And here's this white person being like, you're my supporting character. And uh, you don't matter. And it's all about me and what's going on in my life. Can I leave my boxes here? Can I crash here? Oh, you're married? I barely made it to your wedding like because I had a deadline or something really unimportant. So Lane has been mismanaged apparently it's based on amy schumer paladino's best friend helen pie who helped with the show and if i was helen pie i would be like why are you honoring me in the worst way possible like this is an insult what's happening the one of the only minority characters and they don't get their own storyline and they literally had sex once didn't enjoy it and are saddled with twins and a husband that is the worst i don't understand justice for lane Justice for Lane. Justice for Lane. I had so much personal flame carrying for Lane throughout my viewing experience that I think I implied justice for her where there was not justice written for her. <laughs> that was between that the lines. Sense. Yeah, the Deep justice was between, between the lines. <laughs> There's an element where, like, if you just compare Lane's situation to Rory's, Rory's life is totally chaotic. She's got hoes in different area codes. She barely has a job. (laughs) She just, like, doesn't have her shit together. Lane's got, like, two really cute kids. She's still playing rock and roll. I assumed as a viewer optimistically that her sex life had improved dramatically and was really hoping for that. (laughs) Or maybe she's got someone on the side that we never saw. Uh, I don't know. But, like, I just liked her so much that I just assumed that she was able to have all those things. I think that in a lot of ways, there's a full circle moment where Lane truly is the next Suki, where, like, Suki's this fabulous person. You imagine the best for her, but she never has really honored that in the writing. I remember as, like, a young viewer, Lane, for the seasons one to three, I would say, was my favorite character. I was Mm -hmm. really into alternative music growing up. I felt like she was the only character on the show that truly represented me and that was really important and then she becomes this entirely different person and it's strange because I feel like Lane's personality from the get-go was like doing what she needed to do despite the circumstances so she was raised in this really controlling household but she made it work she had to be sneaky and she had to hide things and she like always took the time to like get her cds and go on the dates with the guys she wanted to go on and have all these elaborate plans to make sure that like she was getting hers and i don't know why that changes down the road i don't see the reason for it and it just feels like it falls flat it should have been lane when Rory went to college, went to like a cool liberal arts college. Yeah. And like started a zine. Or yeah. like moves to Detroit and like joins an art collective and like plays underground shows. Like, and challenges her mom in a meaningful way where it's like, I'm doing these things, but it doesn't mean I'm not a good person. And then like moving the meter on her mom's. Mrs. Kimdar. Some- Mrs. Kimdar, yes. And I think that could have led to so many more interesting stories. Kind of like a Lorelai Emily thing where it's like, I'm being exactly what you don't want me to be. And yet we need to find a way to respect each other. And instead we got her just being like meek and like, okay, fine. I'll go to Bible school. And then I'll just Mm -hmm. like rebel in the small way by moving across the street with Mm -hmm. a bunch of like loser musicians. And and do the thing that you always feared I would do, which is have 
sex with someone who's not Korean and have babies and never ascend to higher levels in life. And I feel like she, beyond it being disappointing from that perspective that you just pointed out, is also disappointing from the grander feminist perspective of Lane just perpetuating the idea that if you have children, your life is suddenly over. Right. We know Lane married this guy. We know she got pregnant. She has two kids. But it's been nine years. Anything right. could happen. Dave Rogowski could get a plane ticket. <laughs> Absolutely. Lori is always flying Team to London. Dave. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, once Lane disappoints her mother and is kicked out, she has no reason to feel any sort of alliance there or feel any need to continue to try to please her mother. I don't understand why she doesn't. Then that's not her out. That's not like now I can do anything, even even with the hurt and the abandonment that comes from that, she doesn't really have a safe space to go back to anyway. Mm-hmm. So I understand that she's creating her own family and community with these musicians, but it falls short. I would have loved to see her be in like a riot girl band or yes. like, you know, there's so there's so much that could have happened with that storyline from from where how we were introduced to Lane it breaks my heart. <laughs> in the band that she's in, all of their songs, this is like a joke from a previous episode, are all named after women that Zach previously was into. And so she's playing drums, fueling this like male narrative. And she never gets to like express herself. Obviously, she has a like intense inner world. If you think about the early seasons where she has the closet with the disco ball and she's in there listening to music and like really waiting to express herself and then her only expression is doing a beat for a man's story obviously there is some fulfillment to be had there with like being a drummer but i just wish for so much more from her and amy was like "Mm, i'm gonna focus on rory and lane can be there to listen to rory's problems And similarly in the band, like, the drummer keeps the beat. The drummer's the backbone of the music. And I feel like Lane upholds Rory's story, and that's it. And she's in the background in the same way. Justice for Lane! Justice Justice for for Lane! (laughs) Does anyone have a ballpark figure of about how many times they cried during the four revival movies? Once in the beginning when it was about to start and surprisingly when Luke and Lorelai were leaving to go to their wedding and they were like standing up out of the moonroof of the car, I was overcome with this deep release of finally. <laughs> you felt I the wind in your hair. You're I like, didn't yes. know that it was in me like because I've always rooted for Rory's love life more than Lorelai's. I almost cried at the most unexpected point. I don't care about Dean. He came up and she's like, I want you to be in my book. I'm going to write about you. And he's like, well, what are you going to write? And she says all these beautiful things. What are you going to say? That you were the greatest boyfriend alive. That you were um, generous and protective and kind and strong. That as much as I wish we'd met when I was older and and more mature, I know that if I hadn't had you with me when I did, I wouldn't be the person I am today. That you taught me what safe feels like. Okay. And that you had a disturbing obsession with Lord of the Rings, that you did a terrible Smeagol impression. It was not terrible. It was pretty damn good. There were hand gestures. (laughs) I know, I remember. I remember it all really well. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Dean! Cornstarch. Pay for it this time. It really took me back to season one and two where it's like the foundation of this show. Mm -hmm. And this character I don't really care about because he always kind of held her back in a way. But their connection was still important and foundational, just like she's saying. I'm like, I'm not meant to be with you, but you still matter. And so I'm like, Dean matters. And then I started getting really emotional that I've been so (laughs) mean about him. I love that. Yeah, I almost cried for sure there. I feel like I cry more during the original episodes, like Mm -hmm. when Rory graduates Chiltern. That's crazy. Waterworks. When she's looking for underwear for tricks for her funeral and she breaks down, cry. Anytime Rory's grandparents look proud, cry. Anytime Logan's on screen, don't cry because I hate him. (laughs) Why is he in this? His stupid Joker face. He's always sleeping behind the scenes, which happens in the original show where like she'll be like on the phone and he's sleeping in a bed behind her. And it's like... 
go talk in another room, but also do we need him sleeping? Like, I hate seeing him. Even when he's not speaking in the scene, he's there. Regarding Logan, I don't hate him the way that you do. And I don't mind seeing him, especially when his shirt's off, saying he's like a babe. Oh, my God. Eh. He serves the function of perpetuating the Chris and Lorelai dynamic with this, you know, wealthy, blonde son of a tycoon character getting the Gilmore girl pregnant for sure. But other than that, I just think he's whatever. I thought it was like kind of cutting edge in a way that like they had kind of a polyamorous thing going. Although, of course, they didn't frame it that way. If they had just informed the fiance and it was just like, oh, open Rory, Rory yeah. is into this thing that upsets Lorelai because it's so like young and current and whatever that would be interesting but because it's like adultery and like she's a mistress again we did this with dean already right and she learned nothing from ruining that marriage well helping ruining obviously it's more on dean because he made promises but to be in that same situation all these years later we've been here we could have used this space for something else it felt uncreative i completely agree with you why not have it be an open relationship dynamic i don't like the fact that there's no consideration given to this anonymous person and are we just meant to think that his fiance is dumb or deserves it for some reason or boring why perpetuate this trope between women i mean there's no reason for it think about when rory was cheated on by logan with bridesmaids Mm. and she could not handle that and she was so upset And yet she doesn't remember what that felt like. There's no compassion there. And is she a sociopath? Like what's going on with Rory where she can't care about anyone else but her own feelings? I do think that Rory has an empathy problem. We don't see it. (laughs) I mean, that's the understatement of the year from both of your faces. (laughs) And I appreciate that because it's telling it like it is. I mean, like we've said it with Lane. We've said it with Marty. Even the way she treats April when April's having a meltdown in her bedroom, she's kind of like, okay, I'm going to deal with you and, like, sort of try to help. But, like, I'm texting my mom and, like, actually, I think this is annoying for me. She is not a caretaker. She is not empathetic. I sort of see how that could be the characteristic of someone who is very independent, who is looking out for themselves, who maybe is very successful, But then we don't really get that either from Rory. She's struggling in her career. So it just kind of makes you feel like Rory is lacking in her humanism. She's just not fully rounded as like an individual. She's not super caring. She's not super successful. She doesn't really stand up for herself or the people that she cares about. She's just kind of like, meh. There's this kind of inaction that has allowed her to survive her entire life, just kind of slipping between the layers and going with the flow that in the relationship, first of all, with Logan, it just the word that I kept thinking of was like, why? Like, why isn't her new boyfriend cool and interesting and fun and like British and like a sexy international journalist type that she's like having an awesome time with? Like, why are we stuck with her old flames? That was such a bummer. So earlier you mentioned hating Lorelai. So I have an unpopular opinion as well. Oh. I don't think Luke is the love of Lorelai's life. 100% Agreed. agree. Oh, Agreed. I thought it was going to be unpopular. on three, can we all say who we wish she ended up with? Oh. One, two, three. Christopher. No Mac. one. I'm the only one who did it. I would say, I would say either Max, Max or no one. He's like, no one. worse. Or someone else that's like way cooler than anyone that's ever been on She hasn't met him yet. Because she would know. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you guys kind of agree with me because with this season, Luke did nothing but complain. They did nothing but argue and bicker. Yes. There was no, like, passion there. I never really saw them embrace or kiss in a way that was, like, real. There's this crazy scene where she's talking about expanding her in and he cuts her off and yells, no, you don't need more. And then she goes, oh, okay. And she stops talking. And that felt very reminiscent of like season like six where she wasn't herself. and She was in a clam and she was like, oh, I can't speak up because you don't want me in your daughter's life and all this stuff. And I thought it was leading up to her leaving him because I was like, well, nothing that they've showed us so far makes me want them to get married after all this time. 
And what he's saying with that seems like it's about their whole life. No, you don't need more as Mm -hmm. in like, this is good enough. You need to stop asking for things, stop growing and be quiet. And it just felt really stifling and stagnant. And I feel like it puts the settling in settling down, if you know what I mean. Whoa, yes. Yeah, it was controlling. And it was almost like what you would hear from like a controlling, abusive relationship. A partner who... It felt like his insecurities about her potentially wanting to leave him were manifesting in being so unsupportive of her career dreams, which is so unhealthy and a terrible role model. Well, if he lets her shine, she leaves him behind and he's worried about that. And so he has to, like, keep her contained. And I feel like that's what he's done throughout the past years. So when people are like, oh, I need to see the the wedding and I love them together and they belong together, I just have never seen a side of him other than like the first couple seasons where he was worthy of this attention from her and this happy ending. And in the therapy session, Lorelai says, We're happy. He's very happy. Luke and I are happy. Dagger in my heart. I'm like, don't settle. Like, go on Mm. your wild Cheryl Strayed hike and realize that it's better off to be alone than with the wrong person. And... Maybe you moved to Nantucket with your mom. I don't care what it looks like, but it doesn't have to be this. And then she comes back and her revelation is this is fine. And they get married. And in that scene where like she and Rory are running around and having the best time of their life, he's nowhere in those scenes. And he's just like waiting to just say, I do. And he's just like a stand in and he's negative and like a black hole. And I don't think he deserves her. And I don't ship it. I do not. That's my unpopular opinion. I totally agree with you. So perfect. Popular so it's a popular opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there's a lot of things that we commented on that could have been done differently or that we would have liked to see happen. But at the end of the day, we all agree that this is a show that we would love to see more of, that we were waiting with bated breath to be revived, and we enjoyed watching the revival of. It's a show that demands to be talked about. I could talk about it for literally hours. Hence and- this podcast <laughs> And we have. Hence this session, which luckily, thanks to Emmanuel's amazing editing, you won't have to hear every little bit of. But um, it's a show that invites a lot of questions and invites a lot of conversation. And I think that that's really powerful and really exciting and fun. And if you find a group of people that want to talk about these issues, it's a show where there's a lot to talk about. I think that like what we were talking about before, like novels where people have book clubs around and they get together and talk about these things and unpack everything. We don't really do that for TV as much. It's just like, oh, did you see that episode? Oh, that crazy thing happened. Okay, never mind. Like, and then you just move on. And with this show, people get together like we just did and get really into it. And it fosters the kind of community that we envy of Stars Hollow, where without even knowing it, we're like, oh, we wish we could live somewhere like that. But then you realize looking around, hey, we already do. So you guys, thank you so much for being on the show for a second time. (laughs) Thanks for ducking into this little side booth to like really lay it all out there. So much fun. Best day ever. Thank you so much. Where can the listeners find you guys on social media? You can find me on Instagram at at Mia Christopher. And you can follow me, Sophie, on Instagram at Magic Carpet Yoga Mats, which is the name of my company, um, or on my personal feed at Dior underscore Gelato. And as you know, I'm at Excuse My Beauty with the E on Instagram, without the E on Twitter. Talk to you online. Bye. Bye.